I can't eat this and talk to you. So when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I don't know about you guys, I love cartoons. Anybody love cartoons when you were growing up? I mean, I loved the uh, Peanuts Halloween special. I still watch it. I'm 60 years old. I still watch it. I am a kid at heart. Uh, I love uh, the Peanuts Christmas special. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but one of, the, one of the cartoons I really enjoyed as a kid was Tom and Jerry. Did anybody ever watch Tom and Jerry? Yeah, 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 Tom and Jerry. Uh, <clears throat> so today, today, uh, I want to tell you a story about Tom and Jerry, but I don't want you to confuse Tom and Jerry with Tom and Jerry, okay? Uh, Tom, Pastor Tom, uh, this is a true story about no one in particular. Uh, actually, Tom, Pastor Tom, is a conglomeration of pastors that I know, that I have respected through the years. Men that I feel like have a lot of wisdom, I've learned a lot from. Jerry, Jerry is, uh, he is also a conglomeration of people that I have known through the years in, in ministry. And so it's not about any one person in particular, it's just kind of about some generalities that I've observed on occasion in ministry that I think can help us kind of grasp some elements of where and why the Bible is helpful in our lives. So um, Tom and Jerry, they were friends, and, uh, and uh, they were, uh, Jerry had been going to Pastor Tom's church for a while. They would get together uh, from time to time uh, at Starbucks. That's the part of Tom that's about me. Uh, they would meet occasionally over at Starbucks. Uh, but today, Jerry really wanted to meet Pastor Tom in his office. Uh, he needed to talk to Pastor Tom about some things that were, well, he just didn't want to be overheard. So they get together. Jerry's fidgeting a little bit. And finally, he kind of begins. Um, Pastor Tom, um, this may kind of sound strange, but it makes a point, okay? Uh, I, I'm a guy who really likes Captain Crunch, all right? I really like Captain Crunch, but I also like Cocoa Krispies, okay? I really like Captain Crunch, but I also like Cocoa Krispies. I'm kind of what you might call a bi-cereal person, okay? Okay, I'm a bi-cereal person, and since I enjoy both, shouldn't I have the right to enjoy both? I mean, when it comes to cereal, what gives any one person the right to tell another person what is right or wrong for them? Pastor Tom just kind of shifted back in his chair for a moment, felt a little bit uneasy with the question. He had had conversations like this many times before, but never one that started quite like this one. And so he says, okay, uh, yeah, uh, a, a bi-cereal person. Well, I suppose if we're talking about cereal, nobody really has the right to tell you what's right or what's wrong for you. But for some reason, I don't think we're really talking about cereal, are we? Jerry kind of smiled, and he continued, Well, Pastor Tom, I, I, I like my wife. I do. I like my wife. In fact, I, I love my wife. I love my wife. But as much as I love my wife... Um, I feel attracted to another woman. Kind of like liking Captain Crunch and Cocoa Krispies. So why 
shouldn't I be able to enjoy both? And Pastor Tom mused for a moment, and he says, well, first of all, Jerry, I can empathize what it feels like to feel attracted to another woman. I've felt that before. Um, and, uh, but I, I don't think your wife would be too pleased if she thought you loved her like Captain Crunch. And uh, because I know your wife, I'm pretty sure uh, if she thought that you were enjoying some Cocoa Krispies, uh, she wouldn't really care for that either. Uh, but let's set those ideas apart. Let's set those ideas aside for a moment. And uh, as important as they are, and let's talk about something more important. Let's talk about something more important. Uh, the, 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 the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about cereal, but it does say a lot about what it means to be free in Christ. It does. It says a lot to us about our bodies. It says a lot to us about our sexuality. And this is what I want you to consider. This is what I want you to consider. I want you to consider that if Jesus is risen, then Jesus is God. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then Jesus actually is God. And if Jesus really is God, then the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, then it is the first word and the final word on all matters of life and faith. Are you with me? See, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, the Bible's true. And if the Bible is true, then it's the first word, and it is the final word. It is the authoritative word on all matters of life and faith. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about my preferences. It's all about, what's about God. And so when we talk about Jesus being God, I want you to think of it like this. Pulls out a sheet of paper, puts it down on his desk where both of them can see it. And I want you to think about Jesus as God, is that Jesus is a loving God. We see the love of Jesus when he goes to the cross. He went to the cross to save lost people. He went to the cross to save people that he loved. And so Jesus as God is a loving God. Well, Jesus is also, he is a, a wise God. That Jesus is, is wise, like no other person is wise. That Jesus is wise, uh, all wise, in a way that no other person can claim to be all wise. That Jesus is loving, Jesus is wise, all wise, um, Jesus is, is good. He is, is good in all of his ways. He is good in everything that he does. He created the heavens and the earth, and what the Bible tells us is that when God created all things, he created them good. But then sin entered God's good creation. And with sin entering creation came things like suffering. 
confusion. Death. All of this. But Jesus, again, he is God, and he is a loving God, and he is a wise God, and he is a good God. And finally, the Bible tells us that he is a holy God. When I say holy, not holier than thou, but holy in the sense of being whole and complete, uh, rich and full. And when we look at the scriptures... If Jesus is God and the Bible is true, then right here, right here, in this place right here, this is the place of truth and grace. Are you with me, Jerry? This is the place of truth and grace. And what you need to understand about truth is sometimes truth stings, doesn't it? That's why we need grace. See, truth sometimes stings, and that's why we need grace, because grace gives us a safe place with God to metabolize truth. But it's a place of truth, and it's a place of grace, um, and, and this is where truth and grace are experienced. But what happens to us when we decide that we want to live our life experience out here? When we say we want to live our life where the ultimate place of, of what's going to define me is not necessarily in this place of truth and grace, if we're not careful, we begin to wrap our understanding of God, we begin to wrap our understanding of things like relationships, things like what it means to be free in Christ, things like our bodies, things like our sexuality. We begin to wrap our understanding of these things around areas of brokenness. But when we begin to wrap our understanding of all these things around the truth and grace that's in the person of Jesus, that's where we can begin to experience um, forgiveness, healing, and hope. Are you with me? The First Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter six, that we're going to look at today, the Corinthians looked for. Um, well, First Corinthians chapter six. It's about it's about freedom. It's about freedom. It's about how we think about the freedom that we have in Christ. It's about uh, it's about freedom. It's about how we think about the freedom we have in Christ. In fact, I want to open up to a text of scripture real, real quick that I think will help with this. Um, it's it's about how we think about the freedom that we have in Christ. But it's about more than that. It's also about how we think about our bodies and how we think about our sexuality. See, the Corinthians were a people who heard the gospel. They heard about truth and grace in the person of Jesus. And many of these people believed in Jesus and they were saved. And what they, what they loved about Jesus is they loved the grace that they could have in him. Very, very interesting. In, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he writes about people 
who, who have a misunderstanding of grace. And they have a misunderstanding of sin. And they say, well, why don't we sin more that grace might increase? Do you know that verse in Romans? Why not sin more that grace might increase? By the way, anybody know where Paul was at when he wrote the book of Romans? No, actually he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth. He was actually in Corinth. It's very, very possible that what he was writing about was a real exchange with real people in the city of Corinth. Are you with me here? Yeah. That Paul was writing to them, and he was writing about people who say, well, why don't we sin so the grace might increase? But now Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And he's talking to them about their freedom. Now, now the, 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 uh, the Corinthians were all about freedom. And, and let me just read for us. Let, let's look here. Romans chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And, uh, and let's look at a little bit about what was going on with the city of Corinth. Because in the city of Corinth, one of the things, remember the city of Corinth was the home of the temple of Aphrodite. This huge temple. And uh, in, in the temple of Aphrodite had 1,000, 1,000 temple priestesses. They, it was, it was a, a temple that had many, many different women priests. A part of how they served their God was plying the trade of prostitution. And so in the city of Corinth, it was not uncommon for a man to come home from work and then go out with his favorite consort, with the priestess of Aphrodite. It was a common practice by single men. It was a common practice by married men. It was a common practice by people who were not followers of Jesus and believers in Jesus. And it was a common practice of people who were followers of Jesus. They were people who were, instead of shaped by the gospel, they were shaped by their appetites. Instead of being people who were shaped by the gospel, they were shaped by their culture. And they had these sayings. They had these sayings as a people. When I was a kid, we had these sayings. When I was a kid, we had these sayings like, make love, not war. Okay. Uh, We had these sayings like, if it feels good, do it. Those of you who are a little bit, a little bit, yeah, you said free love. The guy said free sex, okay? So, uh, but, you know, those were some kind of, and, and more recently we have our own variations of this, like obey your thirst. Well, the Corinthians had their own versions of these same things. Uh, the Corinthians would say things like, uh, I have a right to do anything. I have a right to do anything. By the way, by the way, a lot of Bible teachers, a lot of Bible scholars believe that that saying by the Corinthian church was a corruption of something Paul had actually written. Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Well, they love that idea. Oh, we're free in Christ. We are free in Christ, and we're, in case, uh, we're free to do whatever we please. And so they would say that I have a right to do anything. Uh, they had another saying, Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. And one day, God will do away with both. Since God's going to do away with both. Meat for the belly, belly for meat. By the way, that was the actual Greek statement. 
Why not? Fill your belly. And all of this was used in this idea of indulging in sexual morality, in particular, prostitution. So what does Paul write to these people? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verses 12 through 20. Scripture says this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. By the way, do you notice that that's in quotation marks? There's a reason why it's in quotation marks. Because the ESV translators believed that that was the actual slogan of the Corinthians that they were living by. Uh, all things are lawful for me, but, and then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. Okay? You may be permitted to do something, but that doesn't mean it's helpful for you or good for you. All things are lawful for me, going back to that slogan, that motto, that aphorism. But, says Paul, I will not be dominated by anything. By the way, the more we indulge certain appetites, the more enslaved we become to them. I've noticed something about myself when I eat Captain Crunch. I'm never satisfied with just one bowl. I'm a lot like the alcoholic that, uh, that what, what, what do they say? That, yeah, one drink is not enough. Excuse me, a thousand's not enough, but one is too many. I'm kind of like that with Captain Crunch and Cocoa Krispies, all right? Um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated and enslaved by anything. Food is meat for the stomach, and the stomach for food. But God will destroy or do away with both, one and the other. The, God, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Can I get that next? Yeah. And God, um, okay, wait a second. I've got to back up here. The body is not meant for sexuality, uh, immorality, sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? See, the way that you and I need to be thinking is we need to be thinking that our bodies are something special. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And Paul says, never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. In saying this, Paul is not saying that sexual sin is the worst sin possible. He's not saying that at all. In fact, there are other parts of Scripture where we, we read about other kinds of sin that the Bible speaks of just as um, uh, with, with the same kind of concern. Sins like pride. Sins like pride. Uh, the, the Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus talks about uh, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. There are other kinds of sin that are equally or perhaps more serious. But what he is saying is that sexual sin is unique in character. It's unique in character because in the indulgence of it, there's a sense in which the consequences that come from it cause greater pain. So Paul says, 
flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There's a a couple things that I want you to see in this text. And uh, the first thing I want you to see is this, is the purpose of freedom is to please God, not our appetites. When we choose to live our freedom out here and satisfy our appetites out here, then we take ourselves out of this place, this place of protection where we experience the love of God, the good of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God. And when we choose to live um, outside of that, we place ourselves in a place of great vulnerability. By the way, by the way, When I call this a place of safety, I'm not saying this is always an easy place to live. And when I call this a place of safety, I'm not saying that sometimes there aren't uh, very, very painful consequences that come with this, because there are. Okay? Anybody who teaches you that is, is out of step with the Scriptures. So when we live in this place of truth and grace, that doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. Sometimes truth stings. But like, Uh, Henry Cloud says, but truth is your friend. It is your friend. And and, and we need the grace and truth that's in the gospel. We need to bend our lives around that. And the purpose of freedom is to please God, not our appetites. Uh, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is for the stomach, the stomach for food, but God will do away with both. And the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Regardless of what kind of sexual immorality we're talking about, we could be talking about prostitution, we could be talking about premarital sex, we could be talking about adultery, we could be talking about homosexuality, but any time we go outside of what the Bible teaches, we go outside of this place of ultimate blessing. What what the Bible teaches us in the scriptures is that God intends us uh, that sex is a gift. It is. It is a gift. Uh, Your sexuality is a gift. And it's beautiful. And that you were created in the image of God. And he created you male and female. And God said it's not good for the man to be alone. And so the scripture says he, he made a helper suitable. Meaning a person who... By virtue of their differences and similarities, they are the perfect fit for one another. And God said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And God blessed this union and made it holy. And he said that that sex is not just skin to skin. Sex is a a lot more than that. That sex is, is mind to mind, it's soul to soul and body to body. Sex is not dirty. Sex is beautiful. But when we go outside of God's design for us, then what we do is is we we get out here and we begin to bend our lives around our appetites and we begin to live our lives outside of this place of safety and blessing. The purpose of our freedom is to please God and not our appetites. Second thought I want to share with you is this. Actually, you know what? I'll write these down for you since I don't have slides on these. 
Okay? I think it might be worthwhile. I think I need a better eraser. All right. So, okay? So the purpose of freedom, the purpose of freedom, the purpose of freedom, is to please God and not just please ourselves. Okay? Uh, Secondly, our bodies ultimately belong to God, not to us. Our bodies, your body, my body, our bodies belong to God. Where do I see that in the text? Where do I see that in the text? Um... Beginning in verse 13, uh, Paul says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Right there. See, your body was made for something better than just satisfying your appetites, whether it's Captain Crunch, Cocoa Krispies, or something else entirely different, or mixing the two together. You were made for something more than just pleasing your appetites. Your body was made by, given to you by, by God. What the Bible tells us is that the body is is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And and God raised, the God who raised the Lord will also raise us up by his power. And and, and what Paul is saying here is that one day your body, it it would be helpful to understand a little bit about the Greeks. Anybody know anything about the Greeks? Okay, so one of the things that the the, the Greeks believed is is, uh, they were dualists. They were dualists. And, 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 and in their form of dualism, it looks something like this. The spirit world is good. The spirit world is good. The place of, of, of your spirit, your soul, that's good. Uh, the spirit world is good, but the physical world, the world of your body, is corrupted by evil. Uh, and, and this was a common way of thinking. And so what, what some Greek philosophers said is that what you have to do is you have to starve the body to feed the spirit. And they treated the body as ultimately evil. Uh, and they treated the body uh, with asceticism. And, and sometimes they would even um, mutilate the body to try to, um, to, to, to free the person uh, of the evil of the body. And it was believed that after death you were ultimately freed from this place of great evil, this physical world, and this physical body. Uh, there were others who said, yes, the spirit world is good, the place of the body is evil, but one day the body is going to be done away with. So why not go ahead and indulge it? Do anything you please. You know, if you have an appetite, satisfy it. And the problem is, is that both of these ways of thinking is wrong. Because the Bible doesn't teach us that the body is dirty. That's not a teaching of the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach us that sex is dirty. Have you ever been in a church where you felt like sex was dirty? That concept ever sound vaguely familiar to you? There are some people who, in the name of Christ, treat the body and treat sex as though it's dirty. And the Bible doesn't say that. When God gives us a body, God says it's good, it's very good. And when God makes us male and female, and when he uh, creates the woman for the man and blesses their union, he calls it very good. See, the the, the body 
um, the body is made by, it's made for God. And one day, the body, according to the scriptures, your body and my body will be raised again. See, I have really good news today. Really good news today. Jesus is risen. That is good news. By the way, one day your body will be risen. I won't have any more pain in my shoulder. I won't have any more pain in my neck. I will not have any more pain in my back. My hip won't hurt anymore, and my feet won't hurt anymore. And my doctor says I'm in the best shape of my life. (laughs) Gee, I wonder what I used to feel like. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? One day this body is going to be free from the slavery of corruption. See, you are made by God. You are made for God. Your body is made by God for God. And one day God will raise your body up by his power. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your body is special because it was meant to be united with Jesus. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? And his response is, perish the thought. Absolutely not. Never. Or if you're from Arkansas, heck no. I cleaned it up for you a little bit there. Um, But he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The purpose of freedom is to please God, not our appetites. Our bodies ultimately belong to God, not to us. Number three, we should flee sexual immorality. Flee. Flee sexual immorality of every kind. Why? Why? Because when we don't flee it, we find ourselves in a place of suffering and pain. You know, there's a story of a couple people in the Bible. One guy, his name is David. His name is David. You know the story of David, King David? Second king of Israel, chosen by God. And as... The king of Israel, one day, one night, he sees a young woman bathing. And rather than fleeing and hiding from sin, he sins for it and dives right in. Uh, Rather than fleeing immorality, he indulges his appetites. And out of that, when you read the story of David, you read the story of great pain. By the way, there's another story in the Bible. It's about another guy. His name is Joseph. Not Joseph, the husband of Mary, but Joseph in the book of Genesis. A woman, uh, the wife of Potiphar, his master, he is a slave, and she comes to Joseph. She sees that he is handsome, and she tells Joseph, lie with me. Have sex with me. And he doesn't just, uh, she doesn't just do this once, but she does it again and again and again. And one time when Potiphar was gone on a trip, it says that she grabbed him by the garment and said, lie with me. And what the the Bible tells us is that Joseph fled, leaving his garment with her. Well, when Potiphar came back, she still had the garment. She said, this Hebrew tried to rape me. By the way, you know what happened to to Joseph for being, from fleeing temptation? He ended up being thrown into prison. See, that's why I say that obeying God, fleeing immorality, these kinds of things doesn't guarantee that life is always going to go easy for you. If anybody's telling you that, they're not teaching you the scriptures. But sometimes, sometimes doing the right thing is costly and painful. Um, 
But it's, it's not just the sin of adultery that we need to flee from. It's not just uh, premarital sex. It's not just homosexuality. It's, in, in our world today, I think a really, really big one is pornography. I think it's huge. You know, I just think it's absolutely huge. I don't know if any of y'all ever watched the movie Fireproof. And in the movie Fireproof, uh, Kirk Cameron and his wife were really struggling in their marriage. And Kirk Cameron had been online, had been viewing uh, Internet porn a lot. But then he came to this place where he wanted to make a change in his life. He wanted to bend his life around grace and truth that's in Jesus. But the lure, the lure of that temptation was still very, very powerful in his life. And there's one scene in the movie that I really, really like where this little thing blips up and he can click on it. But instead, you just see this fierce resolve. He reaches over, unplugs the computer, carries it outside, gets out a baseball bat, and starts beating this computer, computer to pieces. Then he looks over his shoulder and one of his neighbors is watching him. But what he was doing was fleeing temptation. By the way, I don't think this means you need to go out and beat your computer with a baseball bat. But I will tell you about the practice that I do, and I will tell you about the practice that a lot of pastors that I know who are friends of mine do, is we use something called covenant eyes. Now, covenant eyes is a filter. Uh, it, it filters out anything that's objectionable. And it also is, uh, uh, it, 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 um, uh, it doesn't just filter, but it also logs wherever you've gone, whatever you've seen online. And it, it sends it to your friends, guys who are with you in the battle. Guys who are with you in the battle battling for you. And, and what those guys do is when, when they see something that comes up on the report that's questionable, they ask you about it, but they're not trying to catch you in doing something wrong. What they, want to want, what they want to do is they want to help you in doing what's right. And so that is a way. But what we've got to do is, is the purpose of freedom is to please God and not just our, our pleasures. And our bodies belong to God, and we need to, to flee uh, immorality. And finally... That, that we should use our bodies, use our bodies to glorify God. See, the world tells us, obey your thirst. The world tells us, if it feels good, do it. But the, the, the word tells us something very, very different. The word tells us to glorify God with your body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, so, glorify God in your body. So what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is telling us, it's telling us because, uh, it's telling us that, that the purpose of our freedom in Christ, is to please God, not our appetites. And, and because the purpose of our freedom in Christ is to please God, not our appetites, and because our bodies ultimately belong to God and not ourselves, then, so then, we should flee sexual morality of every kind. And we should use our bodies to glorify God and not indulge our fleshly passions. It, it's, it's, it life is about a lot more than just pleasing self. And when we bend and build and shape our lives around the, the brokenness of just pleasing ourselves, it takes us out of the safety and the protection of a God who is loving, who is holy, who is good, and who is wise.
and we begin and choose to live by our own wisdom, which leads us to a place of brokenness, greater brokenness, greater pain. The gospel, the gospel is where we find grace and truth in the person of Jesus. The gospel is where we find freedom from sin and freedom uh, ultimately from death. Uh, And we find it in the person of Jesus. And in the gospel, ultimately it's in the gospel and our lives being shaped by the gospel, that we can only begin to live lives that are are righteous, that look more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we live in a world uh, that feeds us, uh, that tells us that that we should simply, um, if it feels good, do it, uh, obey your thirst. It tells us that that we have a right over our bodies to do with whatever we please. And yet your word tells us that in in Christ we have freedom. Not just to do what we please, but to do what pleases you. Uh, Lord, what we want to do is, is, is we want to bend our lives around grace and truth instead of bending our lives around brokenness. And all of us, we have this natural inclination. For all of us, I, I have a natural inclination to want to build and uh, bend my life around my brokenness. And so what I, I want, God, and what I need is I, I need your grace and I need uh, the truth of your word as my friend, even when it stings. And, Lord, that's what we all need. Teach us, God. Teach us how to, to, to bend our lives and our thinking around, uh, around the grace and the truth that's in the gospel. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.